So Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 12. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed from the bear. The young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. How would you finish this sentence on screen? The world would be a safe peaceful and harmonious place if we could just what? How would you finish that sentence? What would we need to do to create a world that had no wars, no exploitation of the poor, no human trafficking, no terrorism, no poverty, no injustice? The world would be a safe, peaceful and harmonious place if we could just... How would you finish that sentence? Have you got an answer? Do you know there was actually a time in our human history where this was a really big question for humanity? When our world calendars changed from 1999 to the year 2000, this was the question that our world tried to answer. At the end of 1999 and as the year 2000 began, governments and organisations all around the globe took that new millennium as an opportunity for a fresh start. And governments and organisations all around the world, they made all these new millennium resolutions to create a better world. These new millennium resolutions, it captured a vision of the kind of world that we as humans wanted to create for ourselves and our children. Here's the United Nations go at it. Here's their new millennium declaration. It's a big document. Here's just a couple of points. Under peace, security and disarmament, they wrote things like this. We'll spare no effort to free our people from the scourge of war, whether within or between states, which has claimed more than 5 million lives in the past decade. 17 years later, here we are, 2017. How did we go with that goal? Actually, not really great. Millions more have died in war. Under protecting the vulnerable, 
Uh, they made goals like this. Uh, we will spare no effort to ensure uh, that children and all civilian populations that suffer the consequences of natural disasters, genocide, armed conflicts and other humanitarian emergencies are given every assistance and protection. 17 years later, how did we go? Not real great, actually. Under protecting our common environment, they had goals like this. We must spare no effort to free all humanity and above, uh, and above all our children and grandchildren from the threat of living on a planet irredeemably spoilt by human activities and whose resources would no longer be sufficient for their needs. 17 years later, how have we gone? Not very good. And it wasn't just the UN that made these kind of new millennium resolutions as the calendar clicked over to the year 2000. All sorts of governments and organisations all around the world did it. The churches in England did it as well. Here was their go. Here's their millennium resolution. Let there be respect for the earth, peace for its people, love in our lives, delight in the good, forgiveness for past wrongs, and from now on, a new start. 17 years have passed since that statement. How do you think we've gone? Actually, not very well. You know, at the start of the new millennium, in the year uh, 2000, our world made genuine resolutions to create a better future for ourselves. Resolutions to create a peaceful, a just, harmonious world. That was in the year 2000. The very next year, just one year later, we had the September 11 terrorist attacks, which triggered a global war on terror, which is actually still in many ways going on today. How did we as humanity go with our new millennium resolutions? Actually not very good at all. And since we've made those new millennium resolutions for a better world, we have killed millions of people in war. There are millions of displaced and homeless refugees and we have spent billions billions of dollars on war and so I think this question actually still remains how would you finish this sentence the world would be a safe peaceful and harmonious place if we could just what because at the start of the new millennium that question was the question that our world wanted to answer and that's a question that we have failed to answer. Today, those resolutions that we as a world made in the year 2000, they make for sad reading. I reread a bunch of them this week. It is very depressing. And so the question remains for you personally how would you finish this sentence? The world would be a safe, peaceful, and harmonious place if we could just. What would your answer be to that? But here's the thing. I don't think we can finish that sentence. We have been trying to finish that sentence, but we just can't. We've been trying to create a world of safety and peace, but we are failing. We love the idea, rightly. We love the idea of a world of safety and peace. And thank God that we have governments and organisations that strive to actually achieve it. And thank God that in many places, for many people, that peace, that safety has actually been created. But... On a global scale, I think we realise that we can't actually do it. We can't create a world of peace and safety. And if you want to convince yourself of that tonight when you get home, get onto Google. Google all the new millennium resolutions that we as humans made in the year 2000. Read them and ask yourself how we've done in the 17 years since we made those resolutions. 
It will not take you long to work out that we cannot finish this sentence. We can't produce a world of peace and safety and harmony. Or put it this way, we actually can't produce the world of Isaiah 11. That's what the world of Isaiah 11 is. It's a world of peace and safety. Just look at this world for a moment with me. Look at, pick it up from verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. That is a picture of world peace and safety and security on a level that we have just never experienced. The wolf lying down peacefully next to the lamb, a calf and a lion lying next to each other without the lion eating the calf, the natural order of the strong devouring the weak, gone, just natural aggression disappeared. The world of Isaiah 11 is so safe Did you notice that a child can play next to snakes and not have to worry about being bitten? Now, maybe this is not literal. Uh, Maybe this is poetic language. But it's capturing an image of amazing worldwide peace. Isaiah 11, it's capturing an image of a world that all of our millennium resolutions desperately wanted to create, but just couldn't. We would love a world, wouldn't we, like this? We'd love a world like Isaiah 11, where children were safe to play wherever. We'd love a world where the strong didn't eat the weak, but sat peacefully with them. We'd love a world like Isaiah 11, but it's a dream. I don't think we'll ever produce a world like this. And all those failed New millennium resolutions testify that we will never create a world as beautiful as what Isaiah 11 pictures. And to that sad thought, Isaiah wants to say, you're absolutely right. You never will. You will never produce a world like this. But he will. See, we may never be able to produce a world like this, but the great thing about Isaiah 11 is there is someone that will actually produce that world for us. Because Isaiah 11, it's not just about this gorgeous vision of a peaceful world in the future. It's actually about the person who will create that perfect world for us. He's the person described in the first five verses of the passage. So come with me. Let's have a look at this person who will produce this world for us. And we'll ask ourselves the question, why is it that he can produce this world a kind of world that we have failed to produce for ourselves. The first thing we learn about this person is in verse 1. Look at verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. So this person is pictured as a shoot springing from a stump. Uh, Now this shoot doesn't spring from an actual tree. It springs up from a family tree. This shoot springs from the family tree of a man named Jesse. And that is no ordinary family tree. That's the family tree of the promised Messiah because Jesse was the father of King David. And God had promised King David that from his family, from his family tree, so from Jesse's family tree, would come the Messiah. 
God's king, who would bring an age of peace and prosperity to God's people. So God had promised that from Jesse's family tree would come the Messiah who would bring prosperity and peace to the whole world. But that glorious future, it's suddenly in doubt as you open the book of Isaiah, because Jesse's family tree, it's about to be made a stump. Because all of Israel is about to be made a stump. Assyria is about to cut Israel down to the ground in judgment for their sin. So it looks like that hope for the Messiah and the world that he will bring is about to be lost. But Isaiah says, no, there's still hope for this in the future. Because he looks forward to a time where there will be a shoot, a person who comes from the family tree of Jesse, a king who comes from the royal tree, even though Assyria is about to cut that nation down to a stump. So the first thing we notice about this person through whom God is going to actually bring about this amazing world of Isaiah 11, the first thing we notice is he comes from the royal line of David. In other words, he's a king from David's family tree. The second thing... (coughs) Excuse me. Now, the second thing we learn about this person who will create this perfect world for us is he has God's spirit on him. Look at verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now in the Old Testament, God's spirit, uh, unlike now, it wasn't a permanent resident in God's people. God's spirit in the Old Testament, it kind of came on certain people for certain roles to empower them to do certain things. So if you are God's people in the Old Testament, you desperately wanted a king who had God's spirit. Because God's spirit in your king, that was the thing that was going to produce a king that led you with righteousness and faithfulness to create a better world for you. So without God's spirit and work in the life of the king, God's people kind of doomed actually. Because without that spirit of God in the heart of their king, they're actually being led by someone whose heart and mind is not being impacted by God's spirit. Their sinful heart is actually unrestricted in the things that they will do. That is why Israel's world, as you open Isaiah, looks so dark. Israel are about to be cut to a stump by Assyria because Israel have been led into sin by many kings who actually haven't had God's spirit at work in them. Their world looks so dark because they've been led by kings who didn't have God's spirit. And so think about that opening question for a moment. How would you finish this sentence? The world would be a safe, peaceful and harmonious place if... Well, I reckon Israel at this stage, they might answer that question by saying, our world would be safe and peaceful if we had a king who was led by God's spirit. That's partly why the world of Isaiah chapter 11 looks so good. Because the king, well look at him in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and might. A spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. God's spirit will rest on this king of Isaiah chapter 11. And grant him wisdom and understanding. Knowledge and fear of the Lord. They are the things you want in a leader if you're going to have any chance of having a world that looks anything as good as Isaiah 11. And they are the things that many of Israel's kings had actually lacked up to this point. That is why their world is about to be cut down to a stump. 
Their leaders haven't always had God's spirit. If, if our world is to have any chance of peace and harmony, it needs leaders who have God's spirit. And so maybe Israel, maybe they would finish that sentence by saying, our world would be a safe, peaceful and harmonious place if we just had leaders who were full of God's spirit. But actually, I don't think that's enough to create the world of Isaiah 11. You also need leaders who judge fairly. Have a look at verse 3. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. See, part of the role of any king, any leader, is to judge. And one of the hardest things about judging is you you have to make judgments based on what you see and what you hear, and you can't see into people's hearts. So you always feel like you're making judgments based on a very small amount of data. If there's any parents in the room, you totally understand this, because you can imagine child number one comes around the corner in tears and accuses child number two of doing something. Child number two walks around the corner in tears and accuses child number one of doing that very same thing. Uh, This never happens in my house. I'm basing this off observations of other people's families, uh, obviously. But then you as a parent, you've got to make a decision. Well, which one's telling the truth? As a parent, you didn't see what happened. You're blind, and blind judgments will often be wrong. We see this in our law courts. Juries have to make decisions based on what little info they can see and hear. They can't see into people's hearts. And so juries can get it wrong, just like parents can get it wrong. And world leaders can get it wrong, which is a disaster for our world. I mean, how much of our world's current injustice, wars and humanitarian issues are actually caused by world leaders not making right judgments and decisions. That's never going to be an issue with this king of Isaiah chapter 11 because this king will not judge simply by what he sees or hears because of verse 3. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. The world needs leaders like that. That's also part of the reason why the world of Isaiah 11 looks so good. It's ruled by a king that rules and judges with righteousness. So come back to that opening question. How would you finish that sentence? The world would be a safe, peaceful and harmonious place if we could just what? Well, maybe we want to answer that now by saying it would be a safe, peaceful and harmonious place if we just had a king with God's spirit who judged fairly. But still, I don't think that's enough to create the world of Isaiah 11. There's no point having a king, there's no point having a leader who judges fairly if they don't have the power to act on those right judgments. Leaders don't always have the power to act on the judgments that they make. And it is so frustrating for a world to see its leaders make good decisions, they not actually have the power to actually act and carry it out, especially when those decisions have to do with punishing evildoers in our world. Just think of the number of terrorists that our world has not managed to bring to justice. 
the inability to punish wrongdoers in this world is part of the reason why our world is still so broken. If you want a world of peace and safety and security, we need leaders who have the power to act and bring evil to justice, which is partly, again, why the world of Isaiah 11 looks so good, because evildoers never escape, because the king of chapter 11 has the power to act. Look at the power this king has in the last part of verse 4. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. The power of this coming king is so great, it takes little more than the breath of his lips to slay the wicked. The evil and the wickedness that so often makes our world a place of war and injustice will be brought to justice by this coming king. You will never hear the king of Isaiah 11 hold a press conference to explain to the world why it is that he let the evildoers slip through his fingers. That's partly why the world of Isaiah 11 looks so good. He has the ability to make right judgments and the power to act on them. So come back to that opening question. How would you finish this sentence? The world would be a safe, peaceful and harmonious place if we could just what? Well, maybe now we want to answer that question by saying, well, if we just had leaders with God's spirit and and leaders who judged fairly and leaders who had the power to act on those good judgments. Now, those are great things and our world would probably be a better place if we had that. But I don't think it's anywhere near enough still to make the world of Isaiah 11 a reality. I think there's something missing from that. There's actually one more thing about this person that Isaiah highlights and this is the most important thing that qualifies this person to make a world like Isaiah 11. The final and most important thing this person will do is remove the curse of sin. (coughs) Because sin, sin is the root cause of all the wars, all the injustice, all the violence, all the unfairness in this world. In Genesis, God created the world and it was perfect, no pain, no injustice, no war, just peace and safety and harmony. But then Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They rebelled and everything in creation broke. Sin entered and ruined creation. It entered every single human heart and it's the sin in every human heart that is the root cause of all the evil, all the injustice in this world. The curse of sin is the root cause of our world's pain. So unless this future king can remove this curse of sin, we'll actually never be able to produce the world of Isaiah 11. And that's the great news. Because he can remove the curse of sin. Isaiah is showing us that he can remove it in picture language. See, when Isaiah pictures that child playing with a snake without fear of being bitten, he's showing us in picture language that the curse of sin has been removed. Because when the sin came in, in Genesis chapter 3, part of the curse was that there was going to be hostility between the snake and Eve's children. So look at this part of the curse in Genesis 3. It's on screen for you. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. 
I'll put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So part of the curse of sin back in Genesis 3 was that there would be constant hostility between the snake and Eve's children. That's part of the curse of sin. But look at verse 8 in Isaiah. Sorry, look at, um, yeah, verse 8 in Isaiah chapter 11. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. Do you see, Isaiah is picturing this child basically playing with snakes with no hostility between them. It's a picture that the curse of Genesis 3 is gone. The Isaiah 11, it's able to picture a world of perfect peace and perfect justice and perfect harmony because Isaiah 11, it's picturing a world that has the curse of sin removed. This king of Isaiah 11 has removed the curse of sin. See, that, that is what is needed to produce a world of safety, peace and justice. The removal of the curse of sin is what is needed to produce a world of perfect peace and perfect harmony because sin is the root cause of all the wars, all the evil. Which tells you, doesn't it, that there's actually only one way to finish this sentence. The world would be a safe peaceful and harmonious place if we could just remove the curse of sin. And that, that is why we can never actually produce the world of Isaiah 11, a world of safety, peace and harmony. That's actually why every new millennium resolution has ultimately failed, because they actually can't remove the curse of sin. We can't remove the cause of all the wars, all the injustice, all the pain, because all those things are caused by sin and we cannot remove the curse of sin. New millennium resolutions, government uh, programs, uh, they can make the world better for certain people in certain places, but they can't fix the world. Because no government program, no aid package can actually remove the curse of of sin. They can make the world better, yes, but they can never fix it because they can't remove sin. But Jesus can. Through his work on the cross, once and for all, he has removed the curse of sin. Jesus is the world's one chance for a world of peace and safety because he's the one thing given to humanity to remove the curse of sin. Every other attempt to fix the world will never fully succeed because it can never deal with sin. But Jesus can. And when he returns, he brings with him a whole new creation, free from the curse of sin. When he returns, he brings a whole new creation characterised by peace, safety, security, harmony. Jesus, he, does, he doesn't have a mere new millennium resolution. Jesus has a new creation resolution. He's promised to return at the end of time and create a whole new creation, a whole new creation free from the curse of sin, a new creation that looks like Isaiah chapter 11. That's why for you, if you're a Christian, your hope for the future 
is supposed to look very different to the hope that other people have. The rest of the world might rightly be uncertain about the future of our world. The rest of the world might rightly be pessimistic about where our world is headed and is going to end up. The rest of the world might read over all of those new millennium resolutions that we made in the year 2000 and rightly conclude 17 years later that we will never experience the world of peace and safety that we desperately long for. But if you're a Christian, you can never share that pessimism. You can never share that pessimistic conversation around the water cooler or around uh, the office or around the dinner table with your friends. You're actually to be different because you have a sure and certain hope for a future perfect world because you know how to finish that sentence. Because you know that the world will be a place of safety and peace and harmony when the curse of sin is fully removed, when Jesus returns and brings with him a whole new creation. It's one of the things that is so great about Christmas. We celebrate the birth of real hope. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, who on his return will create a world of Isaiah 11, of perfect safety, of perfect peace, of perfect harmony, because he's the only one given to humanity who can remove the curse of sin. Thanks be to God for that.